we're going to begin reading at verse 42 through verse 50. Mark 9, verse 42 through, 4, through verse 50. Y'all have that? Okay. Let's read together. Ready, read. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. I'm going to deal with the upper part of this here. Uh, four times, really, Jesus talks about something being better. Verse 42, it will be better. Uh, millstone hung around your neck. Verse 43, it is better for you to enter life maimed. Verse 45, it is better for you to enter life lame. Verse 47, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye. So today I want to talk about this is better. This is better. Thank you, Father, for the word we're about to receive today. I pray that, Father, you give me great boldness of speech to speak your word, make my tongue the pen of a ready writer, that, God, you may write on the hearts and minds of your people, that, God, that, Lord, what needs to be heard, what needs to be shared, what needs to be emphasized today will become clear to every hearer, those that are here present in this room, those that are watching online, those that will watch in, uh, on the rebroadcast, we pray that, Father, that each person opens their heart to receive. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you do the work today. Your gospel, it is the power. So you do the work today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And amen. All right, take your seats today. We are coming out of the throes of this COVID-19, what was a pandemic, and we started out, remember two years ago, we started with isolation, two weeks to slow the spread, and then we went, they added, you know, social distancing and so forth. From there we went to masks and vaccines and boosters, and now they're adding more boosters as they go to boost your booster, right? And yet deaths uh, have continued to rise, or I, I should say uh, deaths because I'm a firm believer that most of those deaths were not actually from or due to COVID. They may have had COVID, uh, they may have been COVID related, or I should say uh, comorbidities is the word that they use in science, medical science. Uh, but nonetheless, in the U.S. alone, we had, we've had so far they, what they call 975,000 deaths and globally 6.1 million deaths from COVID-19. And people, of course, have been trained now that would get a vaccine and that'll help you and get a booster and 
that'll help you and so forth. But Jesus said over in, in the book of Mark, uh, 3.23 said, how can Satan cast out Satan? And so because Satan can't cast out Satan, uh, he can't give the remedy for the issue he caused. And so that's why so many people, even though they get, you know, they wear masks and they do all the things that they're told to do, they stay at a church and still uh, wind up sick and many of them uh, have died because Satan can't cast out Satan. <clears throat> but as, as bad as that virus may have uh, seemed, there is a worse virus that is now endemic in the world. And no nation and no ethnicity and no people group and no community, no region is immune to this virus. This virus has affected and infected all mankind since Adam first contracted it in the Garden of Eden. And this is the virus of sin. It's the virus of sin. They are now calling COVID-19 an endemic as opposed to a pandemic, meaning what an endemic means, it means that we know, we finally understand we can't get rid of it. It's going to always be here. We're a duh. That's just like any virus that has ever come. <laughs> I don't know why people are just now catching up with what we've always known. Just like HIV, that virus, it's still here. Polio, it's still here. So they call these things now endemics, which means that it's common. So just get used to it. So that's why now people have dropped their mask mandates and dropped social distancing and dropped, you know, requirements of vaccines all over everywhere and all these things because they realize, well, it's here. Praise the Lord. They finally got it. But there's a greater endemic that struck in the Garden of Eden. A virus that spread and that virus is still here today and every person on this planet has been infected by it. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, in the contemporary English version, the Bible says that Adam sinned. And that sin brought death into the world. Now everyone has sinned, and so everyone must die. I don't know if that impacts you. Like it impacts me when I read it. Adam sinned. When he did, he contracted this, this deadly disease. And the Bible says that sin brought death into the world. Now everyone has sinned. And so everyone must die. Y'all don't look too excited about this yet. That's not really good news. <laughs> but that's the reality. That if Adam hadn't sinned, Brother Matthew, Adam would have still been here to this day. But because Adam sinned, he died. And because he's the father of all mankind, that sin passed all mankind, and therefore all men must die. Hallelujah. Now, here's the thing I want you to get. That since the beginning of time, 
what the devil has done, he did it to Adam and Eve. And what he's done today, still doing, I mean masterfully, is to reduce in everybody's minds the danger of sin. I got an intercessor, y'all pray for me today. To reduce the danger of sin. If you look back in the book of Genesis, God had given Adam and Eve a command, given a command to Adam. He, I'm a, I know he passed it to Eve because she referenced it. In Genesis chapter 2, look at this, Genesis 2, 15 through 17. I want you to look at your Bibles and see what it says. I want, to, want you to put your eyes on it. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Look at what it says. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Keep going, verse 16, please. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may what? Release. Now read verse 17 with me. But of the tree. Hold on, hold on. Wait on everybody read it. Y'all got it? Everybody read it. Ready? Go. But of the tree you shall for in you shall so God said you shall surely die if you eat of it if you disobey me if you commit this sin Adam you shall surely die now go to Genesis 3 please in verse 1 Genesis 3 verse 1 we're going to read through, through verse 4 hallelujah let me know when you get there by saying hallelujah all right, you ready? It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now the serpent, there's nothing inherently wrong with the serpent, but Satan entered that serpent, that particular serpent, and he used that serpent to speak. The same way God's, God uh, was able to have his spirit enter a donkey and speak to Balaam. Okay? So, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God really say that? So the devil always, what he first do, does is get you to start questioning things. He gets you to question what pastor's talking about. Question the Bible. Y'all got to hear this now. I need you to hear this, that you parents, especially when you got kids and they're growing up and they begin to go off to go, go, not go off to school, they can just go to public school and they learn all these different things, then they go off to school and they, first thing the devil does is get them to start questioning everything. And kids who you raised to know that Noah built the ark and David fought Goliath and, and God opened the Red Sea, now, now they don't, not even sure if they believe in God. Why? Because the devil began to bring questions. Now, that's not his goal. His goal isn't the questions and the doubt. His goal is to get them to die because the devil hates humanity. So verse 2, and the woman says to the serpent, we may eat the trees of the, of the I'm sorry, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. Verse 3, but of the tree, of the, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, watch what she says, God has said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it. Now, God didn't tell her that. God didn't say that. Remember, God had said, tend to it and keep it. Dress it and keep it. But she threw this in, nor, nor shall you eat, touch it, lest you die. So she knows that if we eat of this tree, we shall die. Now, watch the cunning devil, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. 
Add verse 5 for me, please, media. Add verse 5. Verse 5. Because he's going to trick her. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he tells her something that's not true. He makes her an untrue promise. That promise wasn't true. The truth was they already were like God. They were made like God. They didn't have to eat a fruit to become like God. They were already like God. He made them in his likeness and in his image. But the devil made them this false promise, gave him, gave her this false hope. And that's how the devil deceives people is he gives people a, he first gets them in the doubt and then gives them a false hope that you can become something that you really, really want to be. Not knowing what God has already made you, not knowing what God has already called you to be. And now that false hope trumps what God has already told you. He told her if you eat of it, you will not surely die. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. What has he done? He's taken away for her the danger of sin. Will you tell somebody sin is dangerous? Sin is dangerous. He takes away the danger of sin. Oh, if you, if you walk out there on in the middle of the road, you're not going to die. If you play Russia roulette, you're not going to die. If you take those drugs, you're not going to die. No, you're going to be the one who took fentanyl and didn't die. You're going to be the very one who smokes all the crack you can and not die. That's what you tell them. Oh, I know all them other suckers died. The devil went, oh, but you're not a sucker. Are y'all listening to me back there? So what he does is he removes for people the danger of sin. And when he does that, in fact, we know what happens, what happened for them. All of a sudden, Eve said, hmm. And she took that fruit and she ate of it. And the Bible says, and she gave it to Adam with her. So Adam's there the whole time. That's why the Bible says that Eve was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. Adam knew full well what he was doing. He knew full well. But what he had heard was that this sin is not dangerous. Oh boy. But sin is dangerous. And if sin is left unchecked, it can be deadly. Oh, y'all not catching. Sin is is just already dangerous. Because sin will always take you farther than you wanted to go. Keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And cost you more than you wanted to pay. And there's a good chance, though, if God be merciful, you can come back from it. But I have news for you that there comes a time when God said, that's enough. Oh, I don't believe that's true. Well, the Bible says when the time of the Gentiles is up, God says, I'm done. New Testament. Under grace. I'm giving them time. He said in the, in the book of Revelation, I gave Jezebel time to repent. 
There's a lot of theologians think he's, he was talking about Jezebel in the Old Testament, but most theologians now understand, no, there was, there was a current Jezebel prophetess in that church, and he said, I gave her space to repent, but she was leading all my people in fornication, in idolatry, and I'm going to kill her and all her children. This, he said, this is in the church, in the church at Thyatira, I believe it was. I'm going to kill her and all her children because they got into fornication and idolatry, and I told her to repent, and she wouldn't. In the church. Under grace. Because sin is always dangerous and if left unchecked, it is deadly. Please tell your, your neighbor, sin is dangerous. And left unchecked, it'll kill you dead. What happens? How, how do we get stuck in this? Look up, uh, give me Ecclesiastes 11, 8, 11 in the Living Bible. Look at this in the Living Bible. Don't, don't turn to your Bible. I want you to see in the Living Bible because I want you to see how, how it says it this way. Really crystal clear to us. I want you to re read it with me. Can you see it? Can you read it? Let's read it. Ready? Go. Because God does not punish sinners instantly. I don't know how so-and-so and so got caught up in sin like that because he didn't punish them instantly. How did so-and-so get way out there like that? Because he didn't punish them instantly. Do you know when the federal government, the FBI, is going to bring a case on somebody? Come on, holler back at me now. We're not going to build a case on somebody. They don't, they don't see the man slanging the dope on the corner and go get him that day. The local police might mess around with that if I happen to see you. But no, when they're they trying to build a case, when they're they trying to do some business, they're going to they gonna watch you. Set you up. They're going to let you sling dope. First you selling, you know, little $10 bags. But they're going to keep following you until you start get a half a key, then a full key. So all of a sudden you El Chapo around here. Why? Because they're going to make sure they got a, a case to get you. Because when we put you away, we're going to put you away for good. By the time the feds indict you, you just. Feds is a whole different ball game. When the feds got you. Am I right about it? What, what happens with, 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 the, with the drug dealer or the conspirator or the whoever it is, because, because the law didn't get them right away, they like, oh, boy, I'm doing this thing, boy. I'm doing this thing. Until one day the green team. How many of y'all from St. Pete remember the green team? One day the green team come. They swarmed the whole, the whole neighborhood. Y'all remember when Jed and Romeo and Wonder Man and all of them went down, boy, like New Jack City, boy, like them people, man. They were slinging some of us dope around here and they're doing it good. I, I knew the good guys. In fact, most of them are saved now. Some of them are saved. They're actually serving God now. Whew, that's wonderful. That means God's got to give people a chance. But I remember, boy, today, matter of fact, some of those guys, I used to cut their hair. And I remember cutting their hair, and they come to my shop. I had to always point them towards the door. That, I could never turn them around. You know, barbers, you kind of turn people around, you know, whatever. No, they, they said, point me to that door. Don't, don't let me. What am I supposed to do? I walk around y'all, okay. 
I ain't want to end up dead in a trunk somewhere in the middle of Lake Megory. Amen. So I obliged. But uh, you can get away with things and all of a sudden become comfortable. And he says, because God does not punish sinners instantly, people then feel it's safe to do wrong. But sin is dangerous. And it can be deadly. James 1.15. Put that on, your, on the screen for me. In fact, start at verse 14. Verse 14. Hallelujah. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So God doesn't tempt people. We, if we get into sin, ain't because God set you up. The FBI will set you up, but God's not going to set you up. <laughs> right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings death. King James says sin when it is finished. When sin is finished with you, which means Sin has a job in your life. Sin has an assignment in your life. Sin has a goal in your life to kill you dead. While we think we're having fun, having a good old time, sin is saying, I got it. Because sin, when it is done, when it is finished, the Bible says it brings forth death. I'm going to keep going here. Look at Romans 6.23. Y'all know this one. Some of y'all who learned the Romans role when you was in the Baptist church. Romans 6.23. What does it say? For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Through Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus our Lord. So the wages of sin. The wages of sin. <laughs> Hallelujah. What you owe sin. Sin says you got to pay me. I gave you all this pleasure. Remember the Bible says about Moses that Moses chose rather to, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He chose rather to, to honor God and, and go be with his people, right? So sin is going to bring, bring you pleasure. And when sin pleasures you, you got to pay it. You can't be with a prostitute and don't pay her. Right? So sin, <laughs> sin you got to pay. I gave you all that pleasure. You got to pay me, how I'm going to pay you with your life. I let you have a good old time. You was feeling good. You got to pay me for that. Sin don't work for free. You might, but sin don't work for free. So you got to pay for that. How are you going to pay? With your life. And what sin does is, the, the problem with sin, with, with sin is that God doesn't get you right away. You'd almost, it will be nice, Dwight, if God just got you right away. Just pop. You know how you have to do to your child? As soon as your child lie or do something stupid, pop! In the grocery store. That's what my parents say. You go, well, if you did it, you're going to get it. 
It, was, it had to be a very rare occasion, I'm going to get you at home. No, at home, I, that would have been a luxury to get me at home. It was on the spot. On demand weapons. Pop out! Sometimes my, my cousin Nancy would take her, her fingers and put them right. And just. Ah, and because, because that doesn't happen right away, you grow comfortable in that sin. And you'll, get, you'll, you'll, you'll start going further out in sin. Further out in sin. And you'll begin doing sins you hadn't thought of. I never thought about that kind of sin. That's right, because sin gonna always get you new ideas and here's new ways to do that. You know most people who strung out on crack, they didn't start out on crack. They start out with a cigarette, then they start out with a little weed. That's not perfect. I just want to feel good. Puff, puff, pass. And then, you know, next thing you know, well, that's not strong enough. And then I got to get into a little line or something, a little. Before you know it, people are on hair on. <laughs> right? And that's just that's natural how it happens. Thank God for deliverance. Praise God. But that's how sin works. When a man is enticed, he's drawn away. Sin says, oh, come on. You, you, that felt good, didn't it? Let me do it this way. Try this over here. Try that over here. Yes, sir. God doesn't pop. Now, what He does do, if your spirit feel, is bring you a conviction to your heart. But that's why the Bible says, "Do not quench the spirit." And what happens is, you can be so full of uh, your desire for that lust, for that pleasure, for that sin that you tell God shh, shh, shh. You, come on and enough of y'all got your hands up come on tell the truth how many of y'all have shushed God before tell the truth I know I have I have shushed God I didn't intentionally say shh God shh but I went on ahead And that's dangerous because the Bible talks about those people who are, who can, you can become what the Bible calls past feeling. You can become past feeling who will now move over into lewdness. When you get past feeling, that's, thank you, media, Ephesians 4.19. Those who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. How, how do you get past feeling when you keep saying, shh? Am I, am I helping anybody today? I'm not trying to indict anybody. I just, I just, I, I got to sound the alarm in the church because God said I gave Jezebel time to repent. Those of you in New Testament survey class, you're, you're just, we're just finishing on the, the, the churches. He said that church of Thyatira, that Jezebel prophetess, causing my servants to commit fornication and idolatry, and I give her space to repent, and she did not, so I've got to kill her and her children. Thus said the Lord. So God, grace, gracious God, New Testament God, still says I'm not going to put up with that mess. 
How do we get past failing, Miss Frankie? If I keep quenching the spirit because I have this insatiable desire to satisfy my own flesh. Then all, all of a sudden now I've given myself over to lewdness. Let me keep going here. So go back to Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. Come on, I'm going to help three people today. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, this is better. This is better. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Christ is our Lord. So that means that God in his loving sovereignty has allowed every individual to choose. You can choose to pay the wages or choose to receive the gift. It's just like over in Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30, 19, God said, I've set before you, come on, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose a life that you and your descendants may live. So God said, I'm not going to choose for you. God is sovereign, but he's, he's lovingly sovereign. He's given men free will. It would have been wonderful if God had blocked Adam from eating that fruit. Somebody was contending yesterday they, they knew it had to be mangoes, a mango tree. And no, uh, it couldn't, couldn't have been a mango tree. No, not a mango tree. Not a mango tree at all. It had to be an apple tree. It wasn't an apple tree. It was not. We don't know what the fruit was because they were blocked from it. So since they were blocked from it, they couldn't take it and reproduce anything else. So it's a fruit we've never seen before. Never heard of. But when we get to glory, we're going to taste a fruit that we like, oh my God. You thought mango was good. You're going to get a, oh Jesus. That's what we told the one church. It said, to those who overcome, I'm going to give you the right to eat of the tree of life. So, all right. Okay. So, notice he gives us a choice here. He doesn't force anything on us, but he does make suggestions. Notice he said, therefore, choose life. I can't choose for you, but if, if I were you. In other words, God is saying, what's behind door number one? What's my door number two? You choose, but I've been back there. Listen, choose number one. This is what he does. Every time he has you listening to preaching of the word or you're reading the word, he's suggesting life. He can't force anything on you. The Holy Ghost is a gentleman. He will not force you to live right. But he'll suggest it. He highly recommends now go back to Mark 9, 42. Let's look at our main text here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is him. Hallelujah. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. He goes on to talk about it would be better to cut off your hand, your foot, and pluck out your eye. So notice here, 
He's making a recommendation yes, sir. to us. Yes, sir. He's teaching us how to choose better. what's better. Right. Now the choices don't seem that great. Am I right about it? That's like, you know, choose, choose between bad and worse. If you had a choice between bad and worse, which one do you choose? Bad. bad. So he's saying, either choice isn't good, but if I were you, I'm going to tell you which choice is better. Y'all got it? These are two extreme measures here, some extreme measures that, that we have. But what he's talking about is, well, catch this, how to stay out of hell. Look at verse 42. Verse 42. Let's break this down real quick. It says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it will be better for him. See the, see the better here? If a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, first of all, what, what is a millstone? A millstone is one of the two stones that you use when you're grinding wheat. They'd have a large, uh, a large stone, circular stone, and then a large stone in the ground. And they'd take that circular stone and roll it around that wheat to grind it down to, to I mean, to pulse. It's to a donkey pull it. In other words, it, you couldn't push it. That's right. It was a, a beast of burden had to pull that millstone. It was so heavy. And Jesus says that it's better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and jump into the ocean. Well, you know you're going to die. I told you there's not good options here. But he's saying this is the better option of the two. Who's talking here? This is Jesus, right? Can y'all hear Jesus today? He's saying this is the better of the two options. He said it's better for you to have this on your neck and kill yourself. Or be thrown into the sea. Then to cause one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. Now, if you got a decent Bible, you see there's a number above that word stumble, to stumble, and a little it means to fall into sin. So he says it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the wide, the deep blue sea than to lead one of my little ones into sin. Boy, it's getting quiet in this Baptist church here. How do you lead others into sin? One, by your influence. Yes, sir. By your influence. Yes, yes. By you, you're, you're sinning and your lifestyle is a sinful lifestyle and you influence others to do so. Or you tell others to do so. Listen, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this is a reality in the body of Christ. Many people in the body of Christ have left God because they were led by pastors, men and women of God who had influence in their lives and they were sinning. Come on now. And they led others out into sin. Or pastors and whatever men and women of God or or. Gospel artists, whatever, Christian artists, they, they fall 
and their fall was so devastating that people who adored or idolized them, now they have fallen because they didn't have a real connection with God themselves. And, and when, when the, watch, watch this, when the Bible says my little ones, what he's talking about, not talking about little children. Now when you read in Matthew, he talks about little children. But here, the little ones are those who are new to the faith. When he said to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. Then he also said, Peter, feed my lambs, which means those who are new to the faith, they're learning this thing. They don't know. They're, they're not sound. They're not mature. They're just learning. And all of a sudden, they get around some influential person who tells them, oh, that, that's okay. They first get saved, and they want to know how to walk with God. They're excited about their salvation, and they go on your Instagram. They go on your Facebook, your Twitter, your TikTok, your Snapchat, and they see all kind of foolishness, and that has an influence on them. That's why the Bible says don't cause anyone to stumble. What happens is they see your life that you live before them, and you influence them to sin. Or you tell them, them things, hallelujah, things that are okay that God said are not okay. You start calling evil good and good evil. And because you don't carry a high standard in your life and you carry an influence in their lives, you bring them down from the high standard of God to your low standard of low life. Now I pray that no one in here will be leading or influencing anybody to go into sin. That you don't you're not the one who takes these little ones, whether they're young people or whether they're new to the faith people, and lead them into sin. You mean you gonna show them pornography? You're going to introduce them to alcohol? Well, the alcohol is all right. Mm. Tell me that when they're staggering. See, if you influence them, Jesus said it's better for you. You're the one showing them the movies. You're the one buying the music. It's better for you. Y'all quiet in this atheist church. It's better for you that a millstone be tied around your neck and you'll be thrown into the sea, meaning you're going to drown quickly, irretrievably. than for you to influence. Now, not, only, not only can you influence someone to sin, but you can involve yourself. You can cause the little ones to stumble by involving yourself in their sin. You're going to take the kids out and do some foolishness. You ever seen the, the, the auntie? She the hideaway auntie? What do you mean the hideaway auntie? All the kids, when they want to do dirt, they go to this particular auntie house. 
So mama don't know what's going on in this auntie's house. But this auntie that's trying to be cool with all the, all the, I want to be the favorite auntie. I know your, I know your mom and them don't let you watch that, but you can watch that at my house. Woe to that auntie. Woe to that cousin. <laughs> who you're going to involve and influence people to sin. Knowingly do it. Jesus said, Jesus said, it's better for you to tie this millstone around your neck and be thrown into the sea and to do that. Because what he's saying is, that because you're the one that led them into the sin, you're the one that led them into this, into this destructive lifestyle, they may die in their sins, but I'm going to make you pay double for it. Because you led them there. They were wanting to walk with God. They were wanting to learn about God. They got excited about following Jesus. And you got in your, in your cold, apathetic, lukewarm self because you didn't have any fire for God. You drug somebody down into your cold lifestyle. All right, I'll move on. Look at 2 Peter, please, chapter 1. 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 18. I'm going to put in an easy read version for the sake of time. I want you to see this here. I'm here to sound the alarm, ladies and gentlemen. Because what the devil's done is the devil has taken the danger out of sin for people. Many people feel that I can just sin and because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't start burning right away. <laughs> because I didn't have a car accident right away. That it must be safe. That God does not judge sin the way he used to judge sin. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. New Testament says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of, a, of the living God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I know in this modern church that we have not this church, I'm talking about the modern church world. People just have taken the, the, the gun and taken the gunpowder and the bullets out of sin. Are you in 2 Peter 2.18 in easy read? Look at what it says here. It says they boast with words that mean nothing. They lead people into the trap. Now he's talking about false prophets here, false teachers. They lead people to the trap of sin. They find people who have just escaped from a wrong way of life and lead them back into sin. This New Testament. They do this by using, watch this, the evil things people want to do in their human weakness. So there are enough YouTube, Facebook prophets, pastors,
pastors, teachers out there who will tell you exactly what your flesh wants to hear. That's why the Bible says that people who have itching ears and they heap to themselves teachers who are going to agree with them and tell them, that's okay, we're not under the law anymore. You can do whatever you want to. God's not going to judge you for that. Ladies and gentlemen, God will judge. He is the righteous judge. And he, he has winked at sin for a while, but he said, I will no longer wink at sin. And he said, judgment must first begin at the house of God. So if God judges, yeah, he's going to judge the world. But he said, I got to judge my house first. Because people in my house, God, thank you, Holy Ghost. God showed Ezekiel a vision. He had Ezekiel go and dig a hole in the wall in this vision. And he let Ezekiel peer into the temple, the temple courts. And Ezekiel saw people of God doing all kind of wretched, wicked things. And Ezekiel's like, oh my God, that's going on in the house of God. God said, yeah, I'm going to judge them. But I want you to see what they're doing right up in my house. They get right up here and praise and worship. They usher, they deacon, they preach, they sing, they do all these things. And yet, they're doing all these things. He said, I'm going to judge them. God is not winking at sin. I know y'all may not throw money today, but that's all right. They lead them back into sin. They do this by using the evil things people want to do in their human weakness. Because in your human weakness, there are still things you want to do. Y'all ain't saying much. There are still things your flesh wants to do. But you better crucify that flesh, ladies and gentlemen. Young ladies, young men, you better crucify that flesh. Because it'll make you graveyard dead. And according to Jesus, I'm going to show you here, you'll spend eternity in hell. Look, go back, give me uh, verse 20. Go, go to verse 20 here in this same uh, text here. It says, people can be made free from the evil in the world. They can be made free by knowing our Lord and Savior, uh, Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ. But if they go back into those evil things, you see that? If they go back into those evil things, if, so this is talking about Christians. If they go back into those evil things and are controlled by them, then it is worse. <laughs> That's how your cousin said. It's worse for them than it was before. Tell your neighbor, you can't go back. Come on. Back. Tell them you can't go back. You, please don't go back. When God frees you, don't go back. Because it's going to be worse when you go back. That's why you tell folk nothing. Go, go to uh, verse 21. 21. Yes, it would be better. See that? Y'all don't see that? Yes, it would be better for them to have never known the right way that would be better than to know the right way and then to turn away from the holy teaching that was given to them so God says it'll be better for you if you just never even had ever gotten saved if you had never even served God if you had never even known the way of God than to know it and go back into that foolishness it's going to be worse. How much worse? Go to verse 22. Verse 22. Hallelujah. What they did is like these true sayings, a dog vomits and goes back to what, he, what it threw up. 
And after a pig is washed, it goes back and rolls in the mud again. I pray nobody here is going back to their vomit. I pray nobody's going back and wallowing in the mud again. Tell your neighbor it ain't worth it. Now let's go back to Mark 9. Now just indulge me for a few minutes. I know, I know it's late already. But I, I got I to get this to you. I've got to get this to you. I've got to get this sound warning to the people of God. Not just you, but those that are watching us online. Those that are peeking. And they become so decidedly cold towards God. Churches even inconsequential to them. I'm just chilling out. You are drifting. Remember I preached on drifting? And if you drift, you're going to drift into sin, and sin when it's finished is going to lead you to death. It's going to cost you your life. Now all the time you spent serving God and doing the things of God, and you walk away, you will not enter the kingdom of God. If you look back at Mark 9, Jesus made some things clear to us because, you know, there are many misconceptions about hell and about sin. All kind of bad teaching today about sin and hell. There are teachings today that say that there is no sin anymore. Within the church, I'm reading a, a powerful book called The Christian Left, and it's talking about, just, just an explosive book. And... There are teachings in the body, the mainstream body of Christ, that there is no more sin. And there are teachings that there is no more hell. But Jesus made some things clear if you read this chapter. Number one, he made clear that hell is a real place. Tell your neighbor, hell is a real place. Don't listen to this teaching that's out there about hell is simply separation from God. But the hell is just a state of mind. That's what they're teaching out here. Hell is is just a state of mind. No, Jesus made it known to us when he said about hell that there's a fire that would never be quenched. He said, go to hell. He said, "You'll, you'll go to hell. Where? You see that in verse 43 and 44? He said, you'll go to hell into the fire that's, that's never be quenched. Where? So hell must be a where. Hell is a real place, ladies and gentlemen. It's not a state of mind. It's not merely separation from God. It is a real, literal place where there is fire. In fact, number two, hell is a place of eternal torment. Hell is not a place where Tupac and Biggie are partying. And you're going to join their party with Red Fox and Richard Pryor and all the aged, aged people that we lost. There's nobody partying in hell, ladies and gentlemen. If it were so, he would have told us. But he said hell is a place where there's fire 
that shall never be quenched. And he says, their worm does not die. When you are in hell, you still have your mental faculties. Which means you are totally conscious and aware of everything around you. You can't see anything around you, but you can hear it. Because the Bible calls hell a total, absolute darkness. So you'll see nobody. But you'll hear weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth eternally. And it says they're worm, which means your mental faculty, your mind, your thoughts. You will remember everything that you've ever done and have regret. People, I've seen people in nursing homes. People in nursing homes, they, they, they have such regret over their lives that they cry out and they can't operate, they can't function. Can you imagine spending eternity in hell with regret of never listening to your mama and your daddy and your preacher? And when God called your name, when Jesus came with a warning, you said, shut up, God. I got to get this hit. And the Bible says their worm does not die. We know that you'll spend eternity in this, in this torment. Jesus made that clear. Well, no, I learned from Pastor so-and-so that, no, no, I don't, I don't care about Pastor so-and-so. What does Jesus say? Ladies and gentlemen, let me just throw this in here. If you have loved ones that you know who they are out there, when you think about hell, please don't leave them out there without giving them a warning. Don't just say that's their life. Jesus. Act like you care about them enough. Act like you know hell is a real place. Not only is it a real place, it's a real possibility for them if they don't turn from their sins. Son, hell is real. Baby girl, hell is real. Hey, brother, hey, hell is real. It's a real place. You can live and have this life all you want to, but when you close your eyes, you're going to wake up somewhere. There was a rich man in Lazarus. Jesus tells a story, not a parable, a true story of a rich man in Lazarus who both died the same day. And Lazarus, the Bible says, in hell, he lifted up his eyes and he cried out, Please send somebody with some, just a cool, just a little water to cool my tongue because I'm, I am being tormented here in this place. Fully aware of it. Fully aware of the life he had on earth because he asked, send somebody to my brothers there. Tell them whatever you do, don't come here. Can you imagine the regret of hell for eternity, of feeling and understanding, oh my God, what did I leave undone on this earth? What did I reject on this earth? And Jesus came with a deliverance for me and I rejected his deliverance because I wanted to enjoy myself. Hell is a real place. Hell is a place of eternal torment. But he also made it crystal clear to us. Number three, that the end result of a lifestyle of sin is an eternity in hell. The end result of a lifestyle of sin is an eternity in hell. You got to hear that. Because there's a teaching 
that's out there, and I even have said it myself. When the Lord said this to me, I said, wow, I've said the same thing myself. People have begun to teach that we don't go to hell for sin, but for not accepting Jesus. But Jesus said, sin will send you to hell. Sin will send you to hell. Please help me, ladies and gentlemen. Tell your neighbor, sin will send you to hell. Sin will send you to hell. In the 18th chapter of Ezekiel, I think it's verse 4, he said, the soul that sins will surely die. Bob says, be sure your sins will find you out. Well, I accepted Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Stop sinning. See, when you have accepted him, you take on his new DNA, his new nature, you cannot sin. You cannot continue in sin. What about grace? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer than? And when you're a child of God, you're supposed to be dead to sin. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to just teach it anyway. Look at verse 43. Verse 43. He's going to make it these better statements. In other words, here, this is not about us causing anybody else to sin. This is about our sin. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell. into the fire that should never be quenched. What is hands talking about? He's talking about the things you do. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ephesians 4.28 says, let him who stole steal no more, but let him work with his hands. So you can steal with your hands. Proverbs 6.17 talks about hands that shed innocent blood. Talk about those seven abominations that God hates. Yes. But Romans 13.10 says, love does no harm to a neighbor. So what you do with your hands, in other words, what you do in your life, what, you, what activities you do. He says, if your hand, as, and how many of y'all know hands are important? But he said, if your hand caused you to sin, he said, cut it off. It would be better for you to go to, into life maimed, no hands, than to go to hell with two hands. Now, again, that's not a great option. 
My warning to you is to get you to the point where you don't have to cut your hand off either. Now, he doesn't, he's not, let me just make this clear for all the literal people in here. He is not advocating self-amputation. He is not telling folk to go out there and get you a saw and cut your limbs off. He's saying, cut off whatever things you are doing that lead you to sin. Oh, God, help me here. So there are things that you can do. The things, because your hand is not a sin. You need the hand. But there are things that you can do that they lead you to sin. They're the avenue, the pathway into sin. And he said, before you get into sin that you're going to surely die, cut off that connection. I just know the devil's just mad. He wants you to think about beeps and numbers and phones and stuff to distract you from this important point of your life. And it's to you to decide would you rather stay connected to that activity that you know in yourself nobody got to tell you about it you know how you got into that sin that means if you got to cut off some of your connections you have with people if you got to cut off some of your followers you there are some people you ought to block. Not because you don't want them to know what you're doing. See, if you're doing that, you are already messy. I'm talking about blocking them because they're messy. I tell my kids them all the time. They on this all the social media stuff, and they say, "Oh boy, so much, so much." Block it. Why are you Why are you looking at that? Don't give me a report on what nobody's doing. Block it. Why do you expose yourself to that? I'm just saying, that's just bad. But it's getting into your spirit. But some of y'all like your friends and you got to have enough, more, you're more interested in how many followers you have and how many people that subscribe to you and than, 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 being, than being clear-minded with God. And he says, this is better for you to just cut it off completely. And the bus held wide open. Here's the litmus test. Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. So whatever you do in word or deed, can you do it in Jesus' name? In other words, what I'm about to get into this afternoon, could Jesus come with me? What I'm thinking about doing tonight, can Jesus Christ go with me? 
Because if not, it's sin. And you know it. And he's saying, rather than bust hell wide open, cut it off. Stop doing that. If you watch that, well, I'll get into watching later. If you can't watch it and with him sitting next to you. Because the Holy Spirit is in there, right? So you're going to really expose him to that kind of activity? All to get your little pleasure, your little high, your little thrill. Can you do that in Jesus' name? He said, whatever you do. So that's your litmus test for whatever you do. Can I do this in Jesus' name? In word or deed. Can I say that? Can I tell that kind of joke in Jesus' name? Can I have that kind of conversation in Jesus' name? Because if not, that is leading you to sin, causing you to sin. Or you know it's sin already. And he's saying, if that is how you want to keep it, you're going to be in hell where the fire is not quenched your worm doesn't die verse 45 and if your foot causes you to sin cut it off it's better for you to enter life life May or lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell. So, not only what you do, but here, where you go. <laughs> where you go. Because where you go, you know where you go and lead you to hell, lead you to sin. You know you shouldn't have gone there at 3 a.m. You know, you know, you already knew you shouldn't have gotten in your car. You already know you shouldn't have gone to the park by yourself with him or her. You knew it. Matter of fact, some deep down inside you was hoping it. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, 18, in, in that list of those things that God hates, the things that God hates, those abominations, the Bible says feet that are swift in running to evil. Feet that hurry up to find some mess. He said, cut your feet off. <laughs> this might be my last Sunday here, boy. I had to start a whole new church. Feet that are swift. Hurry up to sin. Late to church, but early to sin. Swift. Anxious. Swift, swift souls and anxiousness. 
and excitement and anticipation. I want to get into some mess. That's a preacher to the world. This ain't for church folk. This is for church folk. Because I really had enough of the church getting a black eye in the media. Church getting a black eye in the news. Because the, the world, the media is so quick to point out when you a deacon so-and-so and you got busted in the sex trafficking trade. When you a pastor so-and-so and you reverend so-and-so. Let me even find out. Member of Exceeding Grace Christian Center got busted. They so they saw, they want to point it out because they want to they want to show the whole world that the church is full of hypocrites. My daddy always said, "People may paint your name, but don't you supply the paint." If whatever they say, make them. They got to make it up. You got to you got to make this. Up. You got to lie on me. I'm gonna make sure you got to lie on me. I'm not gonna give you tools. Psalm 119, 101. This is what you got to do. Psalm 119, verse 101. Watch what he says. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have restrained my feet. I said, feet, no, we're not going there. No, I'm going to stand on the word. Oh, your flesh shan't go. No, your flesh, no, no. Feet, don't you move. Feet, you say planter right here. Don't, don't you go in that bedroom. Feet, don't you get in that car. Feet, don't you go in that store right there. You know, you know what you know. Don't even walk over the feet. You still, no, I'm, I'm restraining. Because it says he hates the feet that are swift and running to evil. So since God hates feet that are swift and running to evil, I got to restrain my feet. Nail my feet to the floor before I go into sin. Yes. <laughs> don't act like you don't know. You know, you know what's, what's behind that door. You know what's around that corner. You know what's behind that curtain. Plant your feet. The devil's already told you in your mind. Oh, you're gonna, it's, it's going to be fun. It's going it's to be good. Where you go, you got to cut your feet off. It'll be better. Then you run into some mess to cut your feet off. At least, at least if you cut your feet off, you have a hard time trying to get there. You gotta... By that time, yeah, they, all right, don't worry about it. Take you too long. Somebody shout feet. First Corinthians 6, verse 18. Notice what the Bible says here. First Corinthians 6, 18. It says, flee sexual immorality. King James says fornication. But I want to make sure you understand fornication encompasses everything, every kind of sexual sin. Flee sexual immorality. Now, what do you use to flee? Your feet. So don't run to, run from. Because if those feet are swift to run to, 
It's better for you to cut them off. So you stop running to it. Now again, he's not advocating you go home and chop off your big feet. He's talking about cutting off those connections. I knew I couldn't handle, if, 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 even if I wanted to, to pay for it, I couldn't handle all the tape, uh, uh, channels on cable. I, I couldn't handle it because my struggle was pornography. So what I chose to do was I'm going to cut that off because that's leading me into sin. You can look at me all crazy if you want to. You know your struggle. Because I'm going to stay saved. I'm going to stay holy. I'm going to stay living right. I'm going to stay righteous. I want to please God. So I'm going to cut off anything that can lead me into sin. And anybody. I used to run with a lot of pastors. I used to when I, before I knew anything. But I said, no, you dirty. You dirty. You corrupt. I can't run with you. I guess I'm going to cut you off. I'm not, I'm not even going to sit in y'all a meeting. No, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Because y'all meetings turn corrupt. Y'all start talking corrupt. Are you better? I'm not better. I just, I just want to be saved. I want to please God. And if that means I got to be me by myself. All right, one last one. One last one. Good God is late. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Better if you to walk around here with a patch. He said it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God. Now he moved on from the word life. He says it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God. Not talking about heaven. He's talking about sin. Now it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye. Rather than having two eyes to be cast into the fire. Remember when Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6? He said, if your eye be single, your eye be one, then your whole body will be full of light. But if it's not, then he says, it'll be full of darkness. And how great is that darkness? So it's better for you to have a single vision. God, I only see you. And your word and what you say, then to be all cross-eyed, looking at all kind of side shows and lose your life and spend eternity in hell. If your eye causes you to sin, how does my eye cause me to sin? It's what you behold. Now, understand this. 
Go beyond just the eye because the eye is a receiver. So you not only receive through your eyes, but you receive through your ears. So include your ears in this statement here. So if your ear causes you to sin, cut it off. If anything you have, any gate that you have, that's, that you, you have a portal into your spirit, into your soul for evil that leads you to sin, he says, cut that off. Because it's better, he'd rather for you to, to go to hell, to go to the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into the, into hell fire. Psalmist said in Psalm 101, verse 3. I'm done. I just I wouldn't expect a lot of hallelujahs and amens. I wouldn't expect a lot of running around today. Psalm 101, verse 3, he says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. When I, Elder Baker, when I knew I was struggling, I actually took that statement, that verse, and put it on a strip of paper and I taped it to my computer. I take it to my television. Intentional. So every time I turn it on, I had them in front of my face. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Ha, 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 ha. I had to use the word. To remind myself, no, don't watch that. Don't look at that. Don't let your eyes behold that because that will get into your spirit and it will cause you to sin. So before I physically pluck my eyes out, let me go ahead and put something in, my, in, in there for my eyes and see. Oh, thank you, Lord. Watch what Job says in Job 31, verse 1. Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? I made an agreement with my eyes. Eyes, oh, be careful little eyes. What you see, what you see. Remember that as little kids? Oh, be careful little eyes, what you see. Some of y'all teachers, school teachers remember that. Yeah, Jonathan, way back there. Yeah. You got to be careful what you see. I made a covenant. And what you got to do as a child of God is make a covenant agreement with your eyes and your ears and your mouth that you don't open your gates to anything evil, anything wicked, anything that's, that you know is going to lead you down the pathway to sin. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you before we close here that sin is dangerous and left unchecked, it is deadly. And you cannot play with what ain't playing with you. Because sin's going to make you pay. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. We'll look at it in the Living Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32 through 34. Hallelujah. This may not get a lot of play on social media, but for those of you who are here, I hope you get this. 
Listen to what it says here, 1 Corinthians 15, 32. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts? This is Paul talking about his, his struggles here that he had with people. Those men of Ephesus. If it was only for what I gained in this life down here. If we will never live again after we die, then we might as well go and have ourselves a good time. Let us eat, drink, and be merry. You ever heard of YOLO, you only live once? This is what people are putting out there. You only live once, so just enjoy life. Do everything you want to do. Eat, drink, be merry. Have a party, sex everybody you want to. Just do everything you want to do. There's no tomorrow. When you die, that's it. Paul says, this is what they say, for tomorrow we die and that ends everything. That's what people are telling people. After you die, that's it. Verse 33. Don't be fooled by those who say such things. If you listen to them, you will start acting like them. So whatever you take in, it, it affects your behavior. If you listen to them, you will start acting like them. Look at verse 34. Get some sense. I'll tell you, maybe you need to get some sense. And quit your sinning. He's talking to the church, uh, Christians at Corinth. Save and the church of Corinth were Holy Ghost filled people. Walking in the gifts of the Spirit. And sinning. So don't tell me it can't happen in today's church. He says, get some sense and quit your sinning, church. For to your shame I say it. Some of you are not even Christians at all. I've never really known God. What is he saying? Your sinful lifestyle proves you never actually got born again. And there are people who are going to be shocked on the day of judgment. Who they're going to say, I ushered in your name. And I greeted in your name. And I preached in your name. And I prophesied in your name. He's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Remember Jesus said that? Yes. He said, I never knew you. Oh, I know you ushered. I know you greeted. I know you preached. I know you prophesied. I know you laid hands on the sick. But he said, I never knew you. You just used my name. Can I, can I, let me just show you something. Remember we started in verse 42? Go back to verse 38. I'm going to show you this is real here. Verse 38. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us. We saw someone who does not following us, follow us. Who does not follow us. Casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow us. Casting out demons in your name. They were doing it in your name. Jesus said, do not forbid them for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our, uh, uh, is on our side. Now, then he, he, whoever gives a cup of water to drink, so forth, my name. He said, verse 42, but, it's the same conversation. 
So he said, yeah, they right there doing this of my name. But let me tell you the truth. If somebody causes a little one to sin, it's better for them to have a millstone put out around their neck. He said, if your right, your hand offends you, if your eye offends you, if your foot offends you, cut it off. It's better for you to do that than to end up in hell. In other words, those ones who are out there doing things in his name, they were not following him. And God said, I'll let, I'll let you do all that. I'll let you do all that. I don't know. So when it comes to judgment, they can't come with us. I don't know them. They're not following us, but they can use my name. Because my name will work. That's why he said in the judgment there will be those who said, didn't we not lay hands in your name? Did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not do this in your name? And he said, yes, you did. But depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. So since I never knew you, you can't come with me. Jesus, Father God, Holy Spirit, they are very protective of their abode. No sin will enter the kingdom of God. No sin will enter the kingdom of God. Make no mistake about it. Not fornicators, not liars, not adulterers, not conspiracists, not rioters, not partiers. Paul goes to a whole list. Said they have no part of the kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, I do not know who this is for, but the Holy Spirit made sure that I get this out here today. Because he's concerned about you and your soul and the body of Christ. And he sends a warning. I should have brought this video I, I, somebody sent me Friday of uh, LaShawn Pace Rhodes. I remember LaShawn Pace. She just moved to heaven here earlier this week. And she, before she died, she gave a warning to the church of something God showed her. And her words were over and over again, stop sinning. God said, I'm coming with destruction. Stop sinning. And that warning was not to the world, it was to the church. God had already given me this message, so when I heard that, I was like, man, I, I need to bring on something. I just forgot. Let me say this to you. He said, cut off. Do you know naturally why, why people cut off limbs? You know why they amputate limbs? Because of disease, because of, of necrosis. It means tissue has gone dead. There's been no blood flow. And when there's been no blood flow, what happens, that limb starts to die, starts to decay. And if they don't cut off that dead limb or that dead tissue, the toxins from that dead limb or that dead tissue will spread through the whole body and eventually it'll take the whole body out. Remember Paul says in Romans chapter 7, he said, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ. He's, talked, he's talking about in part of, Roman, part of Roman punishment for crime was 
if you would, if you killed a person, they would take that dead person's body, that corpse, and strap that corpse to the murderer's body. Why? Because they knew that dead corpse, the toxins from that dead corpse, would begin to get into the body of that living person, and that person, rather than being crucified, rather than being beheaded, they would die a slow, painful, horrible death tied to that dead body. So when there's necrosis, they got to cut it off. Famous man here in the States, Deion Sanders, prime time. Used to be one of the fastest, most agile men in the NFL and in sports, even in Major League Baseball. And he, was, he had experienced some issues with his legs, one leg in particular. And they said, they told him, hey, we need to save your life. He was going to die. And they said, well, what we'll do is we'll, we, we can take your leg. Because if we take your leg, we can save your life. As it went on, they didn't take the leg. They thought, okay, we beat it. But they end up just here two weeks ago, I think it was, and amputated two of his toes. Because they, if they can take the toes off, they can save the foot and save the leg and save the life. They knew that whatever was going to cause you to die, we had to cut it off. Nobody wants amputation, but I'd rather have amputation and live. Because I can learn how to walk again. I can learn how to maneuver again. But once I'm dead, that's it. And God is sending a stern warning today. He don't want you having to cut, cut your body parts off. He said, before you do that, cut off people. Cut off connections. Cut off relationships. Cut off your little plans so you can live. This is better. It's not perfect, but it's better. And God wants you to live. Everyone standing on your feet. I'm going to pray here to close this out. And I'm asking every person in this room, if you will be your own doctor, if you will assess and analyze yourselves and ask yourself if there's anything, if you need help, ask God. I do that every day. I, I ask God every single day. When I wake up in the morning, when I lay down at night, God, if there's anything in me that's not like you, anything that's leading me in the wrong way, God, if there's, please, if there's anything, point it out to me because I don't want anything. In the 59th chapter of Isaiah, verse 2, I believe it is, it says that our sins separate us from God. Our sins Separate us from God. And I keep praying, God, I don't want anything separating me from you. 
if I never have a 10,000 member church, never have a seven bedroom home, never drive the fastest car. Okay, I can deal with that. But God, if somehow I end up getting cut off from you, how can I live? How can I live? My connection to God is more important to me than anything or anybody. So I'm asking you just to, just to do a self-evaluation. And I'm going to pray. And I'm not here to call you out. You call yourself out. Be real with yourself. If you know you have gone down a road gotten into things, taking things in, receiving things that are leading you to sin, then you got to just tell God right now, I'm cutting that off right now. And I, I mean, and tell him and mean it. God, I mean it right now. I'm cutting that off. I'm cutting that off. Because sin is dangerous. Pleasurable, but it's dangerous. Enjoyable, but it's dangerous. And it's deadly. God, I want to live with you and I want to live forever. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I ask you right now, as I have done what you led me to do, preaching this word, not that I got any great enjoyment out of preaching this word, Father, but it's what you demanded for this hour. Father, I'm asking you right now that each person that sounds my voice, those that are here, those that are listening, watching, that God, that each person does that evaluation. And that, Father, that we'll be honest with ourselves, real, and allow you to turn your searchlight on from heaven. And God, things you have warned us about, things that you have said and spoken before, that we just hushed you, we ask you to forgive us for that. Forgive us for hushing you and quenching your spirit and doing what we wanted to do just because we wanted to do it and not realizing how it hurt you. How it, in fact, your word says to not grieve the Holy Spirit. How we grieve you when we allow sin to dominate our lives. When we choose sin over righteousness and holiness. And God, everyone here is guilty at some point. Everyone, Father, is guilty in some way. But God, we thank you that, Lord, you said there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So thank you, Father, for forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, for the removal of sin, stain, that guilty stain. Thank you that if we confess our sins to you, you said in your word you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I'm asking you today that God, 
somebody will accept your forgiveness and somebody will accept your cleansing. That somebody today, Lord, who knows they've been down a wrong path, down a dark path, that God, they hear, Lord, the good news of this word here, that God, there's still time to turn around right now, that why, right now, while we are in the day of salvation, that God, they did not harden their hearts, but they hear your voice and they respond to your voice. This stern warning that God, every person walks out of the trap of sin back into the safety of righteousness and holiness. Now, Father, I pray for these, your people, that, Lord, what we walk out of, we will never look back to. That we'll never go back to that vomit, never go back to that mud. I pray even for somebody today, Lord, who's caught up in a lifestyle, overtaken in a fault, that, God, we're, we, can, we can today restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. We pray for that one Lord who's in a lifestyle and they don't want to be out of it. That God, you cause them to know that God, they're not even born again. They need to be born again. That they will not let the devil fool them into thinking that they have something or that they are something that they are not. Thank you so much, Father, for those who right now heed your voice and want restoration that today is the day of salvation, today is the day of restoration, and that, God, you make all things new. We thank you for it. We'll walk in it. We'll live it. And we'll enjoy this wonderful life you've given us to enjoy of holiness, righteousness, and godliness, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Will you give God a big praise today for the